pretty much my favorite topic to talk about for this month and this year is a good foundation. Uh, and, and to me, this is probably the most critical thing that we can talk about, the most important thing in our faith. And I'm going to talk about that one thing. And hopefully that will make um, a little bit of sense here at the end. But I do want to open with the passage that we've been reading that is our foundation for this month and even this year. And it's in Matthew 27. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it was built, because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It's the word of the Lord. Um, so far, we've had a couple awesome sermons on this, on this topic, and, and everybody's kind of highlighted some of their favorite words or, or favorite things in here. And in my opinion, the most important word in here, I'm not saying they were wrong or anything, but um, the most important word in here is therefore. So anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you should always ask, What's the therefore, therefore? That's a very important thing when you're reading scripture. It's, uh, it's very important. So this is probably the weightiest and the most important therefore in the entirety of scripture. It is, it is basically everything that when it says therefore, it's whatever happened before that, whatever was just said. And what was said just before this is the Sermon on the Mount. So three passages, three chapters of Jesus, the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher, the savior of our souls, telling us everything we need to know. And that's what this therefore is there for, that this foundation is that important. It is pointing to everything. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus covers quite an array of stuff. He covers the Beatitudes. He covers salt of the earth, fulfillment of the law, murder, adultery, divorce, oath, goes into Old Testament thinking, eye for an eye, love your enemies, blowing people's minds there, giving to the needy, prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, fasting. If you want to know how to finish your fast strong, see what Jesus says about it in the Beatitudes. And I would encourage you uh, in your fast, if you, if you are fasting, don't do this like a countdown, like, like Christmas countdown. Um, you know, we've got like 25 Christmas countdowns in our house, and I don't even know how we get them, keep up with them all. Um, but don't do that with the fast. Don't be like, oh man, Friday night, I'm eating 12 cakes and four shakes and drinking a beer and 12 cups of coffee. Don't, don't do that. Really dig deep. See what God has for you here, winding this down. What will he tell you? What will he reveal to you? What will be amazing? He goes over treasure in heaven. He tells us not to worry. This is probably the most worrisome generation in history, which I find fascinating because so many generations in the past had to worry about whether they're gonna live throughout the day, and yet somehow we out-worry them. Um, the narrow way, uh, it talks, talks about true and false prophets and true and false disciples. Um, and so that's a lot. That's what this therefore is talking about. This foundation is that critical. It is literally everything. We should build our foundation on the strongest of things. But what is immediately before this therefore, this is the last few verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And what's immediate before that, Jesus says, 
to certain people when they say, when we come to you, some of you will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy? Did we not heal? And Jesus will look at them and say to me the most terrifying words in all of scripture, which is, I never knew you. And so that is the importance of foundation, that it is not that you behave well, although that's a great side effect. It is not even that you attend church or those type of things. It is that you know Jesus and he knows you. I have a little bit of a unique perspective on foundations. You see, I'm a general contractor, licensed in the state of Florida. Pretty impressive, I know. Um, you know, it's a, it's a terrible test. It's a 19-hour test. It's awful. Um, but anyway, I have the license. I can build anything. I can build a house. I can build skyscrapers. Oh, hey, I see you there. I, uh, skyscrapers. I can build bridges. I can build bridges. I do have a suggestion, though. If I build a bridge tomorrow, you should find a different route. Because I don't know how to build a bridge, but I do have the license to pull the proper permits. Um, but before I got my... I learned about foundations before I ever got my license or before I'd ever actually done any construction. I'd always had this dream to build my own house. And uh, not like, I don't mean, most people say I, I built my house. That means they hired the contractor and, and they did that. That's not what I mean. I mean, with my bare hands, I wanted to build the house. And I did that. Had a ton of help from my dad. Um, you know, I would get home from work and he would be out there working. It was amazing. My brother uh, would come over when he could. And neither one of them were close, so it was amazing. But when I built my house, I did the slightly less... Uh, crazy version than Pastor Mark. If you've heard about his story, just a very brief summary, he like camped in the woods in Alabama and cut down trees and, and milled them on a saw hooked up to the PTO on a tractor. I'm sure he has observed all OSHA regulations. Um, but, but I did a slightly less uh, uh, questionable version than that. I wanted to build a, 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 con a block house and so I would actually go around to nurseries, and if you've ever seen it, they put their plant trays on top of blocks. And so whenever they would tear a greenhouse down, there was always just stacks of blocks. And so I would just go and find a nursery and ask them if I could take their blocks, and they would say no. I'd say, can I buy them real cheap? And they would say yes. And I would take them, and I would go, and I would work on my house as long as those blocks um, would last. But when I started the house, I didn't know anything. So I opened up the blueprints, and it's the foundation. It's telling you to work on the foundation. And I remember getting irritated at the amount of work that I was going to have to do to build this foundation. I just couldn't get over how deep and how wide the footers were and the steel that had to go in. I had to dig it with a shovel, by the way. I didn't have any, no, no heavy-duty equipment, a shovel, and my dad and my brother. And that was it. And then you had to put all this steel in there, this rebar, wrap it around, and you had to stick rebar up out of the ground. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is the small house. I do not need all of this stuff. And then, you play, and then what, I, what I didn't know, though, was the next step was I started laying the block. And the block went over the steel. And I laid the top, and all the way, the top course of block, you'd run it around, and you'd put another piece of rebar in there and over the windows. And all of that was poured full of concrete. And all of that was tied to the foundation in a way that my house is not just, you don't build your house on the foundation. Your house has to be part of the foundation. It has to be tied in to the foundation. And that is what is so critical about this verse. This is a nice and seems like a nice maybe allegory, but it is an incredibly important verse and incredibly important that you remain. So I would, to me, the most important thing about this faith is not necessarily that you come into it, although that's pretty important, that you accept Jesus as Savior and we go there. 
But that's important. But the most important thing to me is that you remain in the faith. Jesus says, if you remain in me, I will remain in you. And that is what we want. We certainly don't want the whole I never knew you thing. That is the critical part of this that we must know. Even just another reference, Pastor Peter uh, cited John 3.16. You can always cite John 3.16. It always works. Um, It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him has everlasting life. Well, I can tell you something that made this verse more powerful to me. It was when I understand a little bit of Greek grammar. Nothing like uh, Greek grammar to get you excited. But so in the Greek, there is a, a, a part of their speech. It's called present continuous tense. And that means it is happening now, and yet it continues to happen over and over. And so this present continuous tense, this verse, would actually read more like, those who go on believing will be saved. Those who go on believing will have eternal life. And that is what is far more important than anything else that we could do. You know, because I know many people that they... uh, Maybe the pastor of their church offends them. Not here, of course, but um, the pastor of the church offends them or hurts them in some way, and they stop believing. They stop believing in Jesus. That is crazy to me. If your faith lies in a person or in a church or even this church, that will not last. If I know that there are people here today because this is a good church. You came here, I know the people are nice, coffee's good, music's pretty good, I like it, Um, you know, and... And you're here because of that, or maybe because you felt value here. Somebody invited you and, and, and made you feel important and like you contribute and asked you to serve and do all these things, and that is awesome. And that is an awesome testament to this church, but it is not a foundation that you can rest on, that you can stay true to. I have a personal foundational belief about foundational truth. It's a lot of foundation. Um, But I do do believe that we must, that you must have a foundational truth that is so real to you that nothing can take that away. We sang in the song, a song, the first song here, I didn't know this, I should have looked it up, I guess. But one of the lines is, I have no choice but to believe. That's the kind of truth and the kind of foundation that we need and that we must have in our life. Because there are days you're like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. This is hard. It's not what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be all blessings and money and stuff. It's not. And like, I don't know if I want to do this, but I have to do this because this thing is too real and it's too true. And I cannot not believe it. This foundational truth, I just, that's the one thing that I want to talk about is a foundational truth. And hopefully, if you, hopefully you have one. Hopefully you have something that you can cling to no matter what, no matter how horrible or difficult the circumstances, that thing is still true. And that thing does not fail. You fail, sure, but that thing doesn't fail. People let you down, of course people let you down. People are idiots. But, but that thing doesn't let you down. That thing is true and real. Something we don't talk about that often, when things are awesome. I've seen more people leave the faith because, sorry for the reference, some hot girl or hot guy came back into their life that they were missing and that they wanted or came into their life for the first time and so they did that. Or they found great success in business and they no longer had time to work on their foundation. They no longer had time to cling to the things that would save them. That is the type 
of foundational truth that I hope that we can find. Pastor Peter, last the first time he spoke um, this year on this, on this subject, when he got to America, in Florida in particular, he's like, it's all this sand. How do you build anything? He asked Pastor Mark, how do they build these big buildings on this sand? It doesn't matter. And Pastor Mark explained to him, they drive pylons into the ground that are steel and reinforced concrete, and they drive them down where the foundation is, where it's deep and strong. That's the foundational truth. That's how important this foundational truth is. That's the first pylon that your faith rests on, that your house is built upon. That is how important this is. Last time I spoke, um, I was privileged to share um, one of these personal truths, one of these personal revelations in my own life um, that can never be taken from me. Nothing could ever interfere with this. And I'm not saying it's good or it's, it's great. I'm just saying that this is a truth that will not pass away. It does, it's not only the way I believe, but it's the way I see everything. And I call it embracing wretchedness. I'm not gonna go into it again because... That was enough. But to me, embracing wretchedness is just that moment when you realize the weight of your sin, you can't carry it, and you need someone to save you. That's embracing wretchedness. I was also very honored that my son shared a revelation that he had that was similar, and he called it Felix Culpa, or fortunate fall. But all you gotta do is look in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus, um, he names it right then, and he calls it out. So those are the things that we need to do. So I want us, hopefully, to have one truth, that you have that one truth. And I believe that if God gives you one truth, I believe one is enough. I believe if you have one foundational truth that is, that is firmly um, rooted in your soul and in your being, that thing will last your entire life. That thing will be with you from this day uh, to your last. So... Foundational truth. Uh, I don't want to just talk about the importance of it. I'm hoping to give some information or some idea of what that might be. If you haven't quite gotten that yet, if you haven't said, well, I still, I still have a lot of questions, you probably will still have a lot of questions, but this foundational truth uh, will answer those questions. So this is in John 14. It's, it's when um, Jesus says, you probably heard it at a funeral, um, I, go to, uh, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house or many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. It's great funeral stuff. Um, it's also great life stuff. But this is, what John, this is what Jesus says in John 14. He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. He's telling me, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas is like, uh, no, we don't. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So I'm hoping that if you don't have that one thing, that one truth, something that you hold on to when all else fails or all else is great, that you can hopefully find it in this. Just Jesus. Um, you know, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, uh, duh. Of course, Jesus, we got that one. That's why we're here, blah, blah, blah. But I would dare to ask you, do you? Do you know and believe that after all else is gone, everything else has passed away, that it's just Jesus? When someone you get in an argument with or a debate with, I don't know why we argue about these things, but we do, and, and they're a secular humanist or, or talking about creation versus evolution or talking about these things, and they're way smarter than you, and they destroy you in the argument. 
that thing is still true? Is it still just Jesus? When your friend, your friend, the person that invited you here, the person that you might have prayed the sinner's prayer with, leaves the faith or abandons their family, are you still good? You still got it? Just Jesus? When you go away to college, in academia itself, all academia is programmed to make you not believe, to make you question your faith. Can you look at the professor and say, uh, I mean, you're smart, you obviously know a lot of stuff, but I know this. I know this thing. I know this is absolutely true. So how important is the foundation? Of course, um, we're taking communion today, so if you don't have a communion setting, I don't know what you call them, but raise your hand and somebody will bring you um, and bring you one. Um, and we'll talk about communion in a minute. But I wanted to read this passage of how important foundation is, how important this foundational truth, this, maybe this one thing that is in your life. When the hour came, Jesus and apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, this was actually, a, this was like a celebratory. This was a party. And he's like, so this is kind of a party killer right here, before I suffer. Um, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. If you want to know what that line means, do not ask me. I have no idea. Um, but after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But, but, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which one of them might, it might be and who would do this. Well, of course, we now know that that was Judas Iscariot. And to me, Judas Iscariot is a terrifying person, a terrifying character in the, the story of Scripture. Judas was with Jesus every day of his ministry. He was walking with him. He saw him heal the blind. He saw him raise a little girl from the dead. He saw Jesus cast a legion of demons out of a man that was tormented. He saw a woman simply touch him, and by his power and her faith, she was made well. Not to mention all the stuff that's not recorded in the Bible, like sitting around the fire at night and, and hearing Jesus teach and talk and laugh. And yet, Jesus Yet Judas betrayed Jesus. And if you look, you would think at least, he's like, when Jesus says this, but woe to the man that betrays me, you would think Judas is like, well, I already got this plan, but maybe I shouldn't do that. But he didn't. He didn't. He was with Jesus every day, and he missed it. He missed Jesus. And that's the saddest, most heartbreaking thing that I can think of. You can come to church every Sunday, and you can do all these things, and you can miss it. And that is my hope that you don't miss it, that you grab hold of this or some foundational truth that is real and that is true. I know I said earlier that one foundational truth, and I 100% believe this, is that one truth 
that is in your soul and sits there well is enough. And I completely believe that. I believe that if God gives you that one revelation, it will last you for the rest of your life. You can always cling to that. But I can also tell you that God is good and gracious and gives more. He gives more of those revelations. He gives more of these truths as you go through life and pursue him in however, whichever way you do. Because God has given me several of those, thankfully. Uh, as often as I can handle them, which seems to about every three to five years. Um, so it takes a lot for me to process all that. But one such revelation occurred. I just learned to drive, I remember. Um, I had an, a cassette tape, which... Look at these. They're not even like, they don't even know what I'm talking about. I was like, no clue down here. But I had a cassette tape of, at my time, one of my favorite preachers or speakers um, ever, a great order named Tony Campolo, had a, had a sermon called It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Maybe avoid his new stuff, but the old 70s stuff was awesome. And so I listened to this. I was driving my Ford Escort and getting this cassette tape, and Tony Campolo blew me away and God gave me a revelation at that moment and it is in regards to communion. He talked about a Catholic doctrine called the doctrine of transubstantiation. Now I was raised Southern Baptist and like all good Baptists, I thought all Catholics were going to hell. Um, and so, so what I realized through this sermon and through God's grace is that Jesus is more than enough to save Catholics and more than enough to save snotty little Baptist, which is probably harder. Um, but he talks about the doctrine of transubstantiation, and the doctrine of transubstantiation says this, that the blood, that the, that the bread and the wine actually become the blood and body of Christ. It is a miraculous transformation. It is a miracle. It is overwhelming. It is Within us, it is both spiritual and physical. It is a real thing. And they believe that happens. And that's why they only let priests do it. They don't let some random general contractor do it. But it is incredibly powerful. And so, I don't believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation. But I take communion like I do. If you're not familiar with what communion is, it's Jesus told us to as often as we do this, do this in remembrance of him and that the, the bread represents his sacrifice of his body and the blood represents the pouring out of his blood, which is a new covenant and makes us whole. If you would stand with me, we're gonna take communion. But in the doctrine of transubstantiation, it says that the bread actually becomes. And although I don't believe that, I do believe that communion is a holy moment and I believe that if you take communion as if this were actually the body of Christ, if you had to walk up to the cross and take a little piece, that your life could potentially be changed, that God may grant you a revelation of some foundational truth that will make you sustain forever, that will get you through moments of lows and moments of highs. But it will definitely change the way you take communion. Because I've taken it in absolute reverence ever since that day. So Jesus took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, the blood of Christ. Father, you are such a good father, Lord, and you sent your son to save us, and he laid his life down, Lord, and saved us. So, Father, I pray that you would give each person in here a mighty revelation. Father, that they would see throughout their life, they would see through the lenses of that revelation, and they know that you are real, that they are saved, that they should seek after you, that they should pursue after you. And when they screw up, they go back to that revelation because that is true, and they have no choice but to believe. Father, I pray that you would continue to overwhelm us with your grace, Lord. Father, as we remember your son, his body and his blood that has saved us and made us whole. Father, I pray for greater and greater revelation throughout this year that we would work hard on our foundational faith, our foundational truth, and that all that we know, all that we believe would be rooted in that. And in your son, Jesus, in Jesus' name.